0: This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc. Well, tonight I have a message that I am actually going to speak uh, for the last time in 2017. I told God I was going to preach this based on my one year of experience that I had, and that was... This year, 2017, in the month of January, 11 months ago, I ran something called the World Marathon Challenge. Now, if you don't know what that is, don't look it up, or don't even be enticed by it. It's basically a group of people, 33 people, that all joined together last year, and I'll tell you why in a second, to run seven marathons. Now, that's 26.2 miles. Seven marathons, on seven continents in seven days. So if you can imagine running a full marathon in one continent and then running in another continent the next day, all seven of the world in seven days. And I'm going to tell you how that came about, but uh, I'm just going to have a little lead in. And every time I try to explain that back to someone, they don't get it. I go seven marathons, seven continents, and seven days. And they're like, oh, what, what? nobody gets it. And even Kathy Lee in the Today Show, as they talked about it, could not figure out why anybody would try to attempt to run seven marathons on seven days and seven contests. Take a look.
1: And then then Today is also, you know I wrote that musical about Amy Semple McPherson who started uh, Angela's Temple. Well, the pastor of Angela's Temple now uh, has started something called the Dream Center, which takes care of people in Los Angeles, the, the most difficult situations People, um, just mm-hmm. fighting everything. Well, he is going to be part of the, um, the seven marathons in seven days on seven continents starting today to raise money for them. They start in Antarctica. Listen to this. Then they wait, go to, wait, and, and they, a marathon in each place? Yes. Then to South America, then North America, then Europe, then Africa, Asia, and Australia oh. to raise money for the dream center that feeds, it fills the needs of over 40,000 people. 26 three, miles in a day. Each. And when do you, When does your body heal up from when you, it? When you're on the plane going to the next continent. I know it. Oh. I, uh, so keep him wow. in mind and everybody else that is running this thing literally for some, some uh, amazing, I'm sure the people that they're running for are amazing organizations. That's, so you can go on. I think it's called the World Marathon Challenge. I think it's called that. Anyway. All right. Tonight I'm going to speak to you on seven lessons I learned.
0: On seven marathons in seven continents. Father, I pray as I deliver this word tonight, this is, Lord, so dear to my soul. And I pray, Lord, that this really is not a message about the marathons, it's a message about life and how it applies to all of us. And I pray we would get that message tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, I was, uh, I told you this story before, how I was playing softball one day in a church softball game, and I get uh, tired, winded, I can't breathe, and I go to the doctor's office, just a little recap, and I go to the doctor's office, and I, I said, doc, what's wrong? I can't breathe. He looked at me, and then he stopped, he did x-rays, and he said, you have blood clots in your lungs, and he basically told me that, and laughed, and just snickered a little bit when he was done, and he said, well, you're going to survive, but it looks like you'll never run a marathon as long as you live. Now, up to that time, I never wanted to run a marathon. I thought those were the stupidest people in the world. I mean, why would you run 26.2 miles? It makes no sense. And so it really didn't affect me. It's like, well, at least you're not going to run a marathon. I'm like, well, who cares? Why would I want to do that anyways? But then my dad always taught me that never let anybody put a limit on you. And I, I, I mean, i would never run more than two miles in my life. And I'm driving home thinking about that guy after my blood clots saying, you will never run a marathon. I said, you know what? If I ever get up from these blood clots and start breathing again, I'm going to run my first marathon. And. Every day, the doctor would come in and give me these Lovenox shots in the stomach. They would have a nurse come in and give you shots to get rid of the blood clots in your lungs. And the entire time, for several weeks, as they put that needle in my stomach, I thought to myself, I'm going to prove that doctor wrong. And one day, even though I can't breathe right now, I'm going to run a marathon. They cleared me to start walking, and I got my little Rocky Balboa soundtrack, you know, from Rocky IV. Dun, 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 dun. You know, and I had to play it, and I, I'm like, walk. And I thought I was running, but I was just kind of like... Yeah, you know, the power the Olympic power walkers, but that's all I have, but you gotta start somewhere, amen. And and then two laps around the block, three laps, and then eventually I did my first mile on a track, and I was so excited, and I I committed myself to run the LA Marathon. A year later I I found my courage enough to get through it, and I finished my first marathon. I celebrated. I was crying. I was so happy, and I ran it for the Dream Center, and then I was done. And most people who run the first marathon have very great pictures. They get to the finish line, and they pose, you know, and they're just ready for that moment, and they're glowing. They actually have a video of me when I finished the marathon. I got to the finish line, I went like this. Like, I was so mad at myself for even running it. I, was, I wasn't popping my fist. I was angry at myself for doing it. And I said, I'm done. And so I, I, then the church came, well, pastor, it worked so well when you did it. And it kind of brought energy to the campaign. Would you just do one a year? And so I said, okay, well, I'll do one a year. Every year I'll find a way to do it. And so as I was training for um, running around the Rose Bowl, I was running. I get a text message from a guy in my church and he's one of those guys in the church that's always trying to commit you to doing big things. Have you may have a friend like that? Dude, you should run through a wall one day, you know? Yeah, it's a great idea. Or uh, let's see if you can handle 40 nails in your head or something, you know? And, but he sent me this message, and he, sh- and he sent me this video called 777. But first, that's all he texts me. 777. So I'm like, okay, well, is this a prophetic word or does he have inside information on the second coming or something or what's going on? You know, seven, seven, seven. And then I open up the link and I begin to read about these people who are running seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. I said, that's great for them. Wonderful. I responded back and said, thank you. This is great. Thanks for sending this to me about these courageous people who are doing this, you know? And then, and then you start seeing the bubble on the text. So you know something's coming up next. Have you ever been waiting for the bubble? And you're like, in anticipation, what's his answer going to be? You know, do I get the job or not? Or, and the bubble starts, and then finally the words come up. And he said, I want you to run the seven marathons and seven continents in seven days. And I responded back, get thou behind me, Satan. Thou water is something, blah. And then he bubbled, bubbled, bubbled. And then it said there, And then it said, if you run the World Marathon Challenge, I will give the Dream Center $100,000. And suddenly I felt the Holy Ghost in my feet. You know, I'm just like, I feel it in my bones, you're about to move. You know, and I said, said, okay, I guess, I mean, come on, you can't turn that much money down for the children. Like Nacho Libre, you know, he wrestled for the children. It's for the children, you know. I I can at least run for the children, you know, and. And so I said, yes, I'll do it. And uh, have you ever committed yourself to something knowing it was a long way away? Thinking, well, I'll just say yes because it will never come. (laughs) Can I tell you something? Those events do come in your life, and they will show up eventually. And so I'm training. I'm getting myself up to 90 miles a week of running. And I would start at 5 in the morning. I would go into the office, and I'd feel so accomplished. People are just getting in. They're like, what would you do? I'm like, I did 15 miles a day or 16 miles but I was running that much to try to get my base miles up to be able to handle it, and I was. And it was just—it was an incredible experience. It was really grueling getting into it, and then um, sports. We get a Sports Illustrated calls and said we want to do an article on you. I said, "Why?" They said, "Because you're the most unaccomplished runner of this whole group." I said, "What do you mean? My people don't just sign up and do this." They said, you've only done four marathons your entire life. I said, I know, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? They said, no, the people that do this run 70, 80. One person has run the volcano marathon. I've never heard of that. What's a volcano? <laughs> Another person has run, like, uh, I mean, with penguins and, like, I mean, all this stuff. And and so I was known, I was Sports Illustrated called me the least, most experienced runner. And that, that was my claim to fame. And so we, we, we got in the... Uh, we got in the plane, and we flew in an old Russian cargo plane to Antarctica. Man, this was just an old Terminator-style, old-school plane, and that's me, and on the left is Ryan Hall, the fastest marathon runner in the entire America. He ran in 204, uh, the Boston Marathon, the record to this day. There he is right there, Ryan in the back, and uh, he decided to come out of retirement to run it with me on my first marathon, so now I got a world record holder with me. That's great, you know, and so we're on this plane that looked like the Terminator, and there it is, I and mean, that's it right there. And then, uh, and so we're flying in this crazy plane that can handle a very rare Antarctica, negative 30 to 40 to 50 degrees, usually in that territory. And so we're landing, and so as we're about to land, the guy's giving us advice. He says, when you run your first marathon, don't sweat, because if you sweat, you might die. But don't get, you know, too cold, don't get too warm. I'm like, how do you manage that? But don't sweat or you'll die. But we got off the plane and we got off the plane. And we were shocked. Cause we thought, because they, they had us bundle up in the plane to get ready to prepare for Antarctica. And they said, This will be the coldest you've ever felt. But when we got off the plane, we were shocked. It was actually around zero degrees, which is warm in Antarctica. And I got off the plane. I had this jacket on. I wasn't really even that cold in the beginning. I looked at Ryan Hall. I said, this is amazing. We're going to dominate this continent. It's one of the warmest days I've had in a long, long time. It's as if the Lord is trying to tell us he's going to bless us and make it easy for us every step of the way. But that didn't happen. Antarctica changes. Oh, does it ever change within 15 minutes? I was so cocky. I was going to the start line. I even took a a, a lighter jacket. I'm I'm taking pictures. I'm I'm dabbing on the Antarctica, you know, and uh, just doing all this stuff. And I'm just enjoying it, and it's not going to be that bad. And then we got in these tents, and the winds started to blow. And it became the coldest place. That's me sleeping in that. I slept in that, under that whatever it is, that tent that, that they advertise being 60 degrees. It's not 60 degrees. And, uh, and there I am just sleeping there, and uh, 24 hours sunlight, it never goes down. 24 hours of sunlight, and then you'd have to get up to go to the restroom, but nobody used the bathroom because it was too cold to get up in the middle of the night. So me and Ryan Hall had to make an agreement that, regarding water bottles next to us and not judging each other. You know, it was one of those type of things. And so... Um, But there we were, and we got to Antarctica, and the first is the craziest track. It was six and a half miles in four loops. Each loop was six and a half miles. And the first half, it was sunlight, and the second half was a wind that was so severe that walkers were walking just as fast as runners, And the winds would literally blow you to the side. It was negative 30 degrees. We had to put sunscreen up our nostrils because it reflected off the ground into your nose. And you had to wear sunglasses every second of the day when you went outside because the glare was so strong. And I'll never forget as we were running a negative 35 degree and 50 mile an hour headwinds. As we were running that, I thought to myself, why in the world did I ever do this, God? This is the craziest thing I've ever experienced. And I said, how am I going to get to the end? I can't even move against these winds. And then I realized something. One of the guys told me at the end of the first loop. He said, don't worry about how fast you go. This is what he said, because progress isn't always about moving fast. He said, it's just about gaining ground. He said, just keep gaining ground. I said, thank you very much, sir. You gave me a lesson. I realized something. In the 23 years of pastoring the Dream Center, it hasn't been a fast-moving ministry. It's been times where you're running against the wind, but the key to life is just to keep gaining ground. It doesn't have to be major ground. It doesn't have to be world record ground. It doesn't have to be earth-shaking ground. If you can just keep your legs moving forward in life, no matter what you go through, you will get to the time where you'll actually get to the finish line of what God calls you to do. Paul said, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, but my goal was to keep the faith. But I'm going to have to run against some headwinds of life to get to where I need to go. And when I got to the end, I'll never forget the finish line at Antarctica, face frozen, frostbite in my toes. Every one of us had to be treated for frostbite in the tent after the race. It was the most grueling, excruciating run of my entire life. The guy put a medal around my neck, and he said, congratulations, you have just ran the first marathon. Oh, that's the last one. The first marathon, I'm already at the end. You see how fast I want to get through this thing. And uh, I've already uh, finished the marathon, and he gave it to me and put it in Antarctica. He said, you just ran the World Marathon Challenge in Antarctica. I was so excited and, uh, to get out of there. And uh, so we went into the little place. And the plane is landing as we're finishing our last few miles because the plane couldn't land. It had to quickly land and load everybody up because it would be frozen on the runway. It's so cold. So they had to time it to where we had a very short time. We got back in the plane, and the guy says, okay, we're off to Chile now. We're going to run marathon number two, and we're going from Antarctica continent number one to South America, and we're going to Chile number two. So we're on the plane flying about eight hours to Chile from Antarctica, the closest point to that place. And as we're flying there and getting over there, I said, where are we going to run? How long do we have? They said, yeah, you're going to have two hours when we land to change, to take a nap and to get ready to run. And the reality hit me very, very quickly. We are actually doing this. We are running seven, another marathon right now in a constant. So they got a plane, a chartered plane, like an old school 1990s plane. This wasn't like a really, really, it was a nice plane, but the seats didn't go all the way back. So your legs would kind of hang off a little bit towards the end. And uh, But it was nice, but it was an older plane. And so we were flying um, right, directly into there, and as we got to South America, we landed, we went to the start line, I went to the front, I said, God, how is this going to happen? And the gun went off, and there we were, taking off to run our second marathon in South America. It, but this time, it was nice. It was 50 degrees outside, and the people of Chile came out, and they were sponsoring us and helping us. And, and families with children were hugging us. It was, the, it was definitely the sweetest of all the marathons that we ran. And the little governor of, uh, of, of, the, of the little city came out, and he gave us all little patches. And, uh, and it was the most beautiful experience. And I was shocked because at Chile, I was feeling much better than I ever thought I was going to feel. As a matter of fact, I told myself, I'm going to run one of these marathons under four hours. Uh, one of these, are, I'm, it's going to happen. The first one was like 4.50, in I because it was cold. But I'm going to run one of these under four hours, and this is going to be the one I'm going to run it. And I was feeling good, and halfway through, I was ahead of my splits, like 1.55, the first half of the marathon. I was feeling strong. And then something inside of me, this is what it said, you're going too good, you're going too strong, you need to hold some back for the other races. But then another side of me said, said, I have a chance. I have a moment. Let's go for it. And when I got to the finish line in Chile, I decided to hold a lot back. I ended up running it in like 4.20 something or 4. No, actually not one, like 4.15, and, and, but I could have run it under 4. And then I realized as I put the medal around my neck, I realized lesson number two. And it's not what you think it's going to be. Sometimes when, there's, when you have a moment that's in front of you, you've got to learn to seize the moment when it's there. From that point on, I would never accomplish my goal to run one marathon under four hours because I said to myself, I, I don't think that this level of feeling of blessing and the feeling of prosperity upon my life, I can't sustain it. I can't keep it going. I was preparing myself for something bad that was about to happen by holding back rather than living and going for the moment that was before me you got to learn to seize the moment when it's there. There are times in your ministry where God gives you the, the winds behind you. you got to take advantage of it. Many times as Christians, we're good at running against the wind, of being tough when the wind is against our face, but we've also got to learn how to run with the wind. we got to learn not to anticipate fear when good things are coming our way. When the Lord is blessing your marriage, don't say, oh, things are going too well. No, you've got to learn to take advantage of those moments of your life. When God is blessing you, seize the moment when it's there. What I'm telling you is to keep on praying for rain even when it's raining in your life. And I never reached that goal moment in my life because something inside me says, you've got to prepare for tragedy that might happen along the way. And there's something about fear that when you project that upon yourselves, you usually find what you project upon your future. And I I missed the moment. It was still a good moment. I mean, I got my second medal in South America, and that was cool. and put it around my neck, but something inside me said, man, you held back, and you had a chance to do something great. And then we got on the plane. We're flying to Miami, and our third continent, Marathon number three. And we got to Miami. I was bothered because there was a guy from the Czech Republic who was in front of me who beat me every single marathon. He's one of those guys that was always 10, 15 minutes ahead of me, and he's wearing like speedos, not in Antarctica, but uh, but you know he's wearing like these short shorts and these really Euro Eastern European shorts, you know. And I said, God, I just, I literally prayed this. I said, God, give me the ability to beat him one time. And then we got to Miami, and it was warm, and those Eastern Europeans weren't used to warm, but well, I was. I'm an Arizona boy, born in Arizona, California, so I'm like, bring on the heat. I was excited. And I was running Miami, but we were tired, man. Now the reality is setting in that we're doing this. We were starting to hurt after marathon number two. I think the only reason why we were able to gut it out in number two is because we had the adrenaline for number one, but now the reality is setting in. We're in this plane, and our feet are up because the blood flow is starting to go to our feet, and we're just finding ways that we're sleeping like this now. For the whole time, we would never sleep with our feet on the ground. As you see, the chairs, that kind of fold in a weird way. It kind of hurts your knees, so we just put our feet up, and we slept everywhere. We went like this to get the blood flow to our heart because our circulation was so messed up. My feet were starting to grow, man. They were looking like Shrek. I even took a picture of my foot, and it was starting to expand. That's my foot right there. That's only after marathon number two. I have no idea why there's a spoon next to my foot. I'm still trying to figure out why that picture is even there. I'm losing my mind, man. I got it anyways, but uh, The feet are getting big, and one guy's laying upside down because he wants the circulation to go to his brain, not to his feet. And uh, so he slept upside down, like in a a reverse way. One of my friends from Malaysia I met on the run who's running with us. And so we we were just just trying to find ways to survive. And everyone started to look like zombies by the time they got to Miami, marathon number three. And because you're in America, there's a lot more press that was there, people covering it from everywhere, and the crowds were bigger than ever in America. And, and I got to Miami. I was kind of tired and a little bit discouraged because I'm like, there's no way in the world I could run five more. But I had a secret weapon in Miami that no one else had, and that is I had friends and family that were there. My friends were there, my family was there, some of my pastors of uh, other dream centers were there, and they were alongside. I had one guy that said, Pastor, I'm going to run with you. Pastor Brad Reed of our New York Dream Center. He said, Pastor, I'm going to run with you. And I had a bunch of people saying they're going to run with me. And then as I began to run, I turned around and I'm like, Where are you? And they're like, I got you, brother. I'm with you in, I'm with you in spirit. Amen. You know, you always got to watch out for those ones who said they'll be with you to the end. You know, and like, where'd you go? And, uh, but we were in Miami we were running. And it was interesting in Miami because as we were running on the side, there's people cheering for you. And the Europeans were really like, these, these Americans are very motivating. They have like slogans and signs and you can do it. And, and the people on the and they had like 7-Eleven Slurpees. I learned all kinds of weird things about these runners. I thought they were going to be eating twigs and figs the whole time. They were eating sugar nonstop. I mean, these these expert marathon people, that's Ryan Hall right there eating donuts. He was eating donuts everywhere he could to keep the sugar in his body. And he looks like he's mad at everyone in that picture, too, if you know what I mean. you know. But uh, I'm just saying, he looks he, he didn't look like he wanted anyone was filming him or anything, but that wasn't what it was. It was just an accident. Anyways, but... Uh, but these guys were eating donuts and, and so and everything. So we were running, and then all these like professional marathoners had 7-Eleven like Coke Slurpees, and they were giving away. They're like, This really helps you fuel. I'm like, this is the weirdest thing. And so I just received everything by faith. And one lady's like, hey, I got some pills. I'm like, cool, whatever that is, I received that in faith too. I don't know what it was. They're giving you all kinds of stuff, man. I mean, I had to spend six months in rehab at the dream center when I got back, but you know, I'm just trying to receive it by faith. I don't know what it was. So right in Miami, you know, these are salt tablets, great, I, mean, I, I believe you, and I just, just run, and so we got to the very end of Miami, and I passed the guy, I'm 25 miles, the only time I beat him, I, I passed Speedo Man, in the, from the Czech Republic, and I got to the end, They put this North American medal around my neck, and I realized, number three, this is what I realized, is that family and friends can make you perform at a higher level. You need to create the home court advantage in your family. You need to go home as a family and say, what can I do to make it a place where my children go home from a day of being at school with the bullying and the, and the drama and all that takes place. I want the goal of my children is when they get home to see my car that's parked there or my car that pulls up later in the day and they see my family and my home as a place of refuge where they can perform at a higher level. And that's what I appreciate about your pastors. They've created a church where no matter what goes on in the world, you can come into this place and feel like you've got the home court advantage, that you can succeed. And the energy of this church, the most energetic church I've ever been to in my entire life on a consistent basis is this church. You know what you do? You make this a home court advantage. It's unfair for preachers to preach here. Because they think that you make them better than they really are. Why? Because you've created a home field advantage that allows people to perform and do things at a level that's greater than they ever dreamed. And my family and my friends there allowed me to do something in the heat of Miami that I never thought was possible and run my fastest time, Marathon number 3 in Miami, because I had the support of friends and family. Make your marriage a home court advantage perform at a higher level when you create an environment of a family and home and a church people could do great things why why do 20 year drug addicts come into the dream center and suddenly they turn around pastoring churches because the house of god is the only place where there's an unfair advantage because we have an eternal hope through our lord and savior jesus christ that allows us to do things beyond what we ever dreamed so we're down in Miami, and uh, my wife is there. She took me to the steakhouse right on the pier of Miami Beach, and uh, I'm enjoying it, and the guy comes along and says, okay, you need to go. I'm like, what, an hour? Yeah, we're going to get on a plane, we're going to go to Madrid now. And so I'm like, okay, and when they're packed. At this time, simple things like packing were taking a long, long time, maybe even a half an hour to pack your stuff because your mind is so tired and weary you can't even process simple things. And so we went to the airport, and now we're getting ready about 15 to 16 hours later, I believe, to run our fourth marathon in Madrid, Spain. And now, this is our whole life. We, we, we run, we, get on, we go to the airport, we go through customs, immigration, and then we land at the other airport. We change in the bathrooms, no sleep, only sleep on the plane, and we are now running marathons. That's me right there. That's some random dude, the Canadian guy on the left. He was so fast. He was most unbelievable. He was like a superhero or something. That was me skinnier during the marathon challenge. That's Ryan Hall on the right, and uh, yes, they look much more motivated than I do. And uh, so there we are. That's where our changing rooms are on the marathon challenge. And so we're going straight to the site in Madrid, and we're all feeling tired and we're all feeling worn down. And then when we got to Spain, we started going, and the weather was nice, but we were running. Out there in Madrid, and about a quarter of the way through the marathon, something happens to my body. I feel a pull in my knee, my patella tendon. My knee had a partial tear in my patella tendon around my knee, and I literally knew it was over. I said, God, it's over. And this was a loop of three miles that you would go back and forth and repeat it over and over. And when I went back to the end, I was talking to one of the reporters from the BBC from London who traveled with us the entire time to document our experience. I looked at him, he became my friend. I said, I'm done. He said, what's wrong? I said, my patella tendon, um, my my knee was injured at that time. I I just, I I can't feel anything. And I just wept and I cried. He gave me a hug and I said, I'm done. And he said, man, you gave it a good run. And I said, I'm just going to go back and do one more lap and I'm going to be, I'm finished. I just, I, I really wanted to get away because I was acting like a big old baby. I was being so emotional. But I, everything made you emotional at this point. I was just crying because I couldn't finish. And, and all these guys around me, these big tough marathon guys, I'm just weeping. And I said, okay, I'll be right back. So I was going to just kind of cry and come back and finish with one more loop. And as I'm just excruciating in pain, I get to the end. And then God begins to speak to me as he's done so many times. He said, why don't you just finish this fourth marathon? I mean, just just give me one more. Just finish this one, and you'll accomplish something great. Just give me. God's been playing that trick on me ever since I came to L.A. God, I quit the ministry. Just give me one more day. Just Okay, God, I'll give you one more day. 23 years later, he's still doing that thing with me, you know. And, and so I decided I would just try to run. And, and as I was going, I said, God, I can't make this. And I began to pray, and I learned through this marathon number four, probably the most powerful lesson of all is sometimes you've got to go through a breakdown to get to your breakthrough. Sometimes you have to allow yourself to go through a breakdown to get to the breakthrough. And after all those tears and weeping, I, wisdom came to me. You see, at the end of a broken heart, at the end of those tears, at the end of the struggle of your life, if you just let yourself pour out your heart before God, God will give you a solution at the end of those tears. And I said, okay, God, I'll run the marathon. I was done crying, and then God said, okay, now that you're done crying, I got a a solution for you. And literally the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and, and said, I want you just to lock your left leg and rely on your other muscles that you train. And just do the Frankenstein trot the whole way, you know. And just, just, just lock your left leg, use your hips and drive and run like this. You know, some people think they're gangster and they have the gangster lip. I, I had the true one, man. I'm just, I'm just represent the two, one, three, man. Just the whole way, you know. Just. And I got to the end, and I got to the end in Madrid, Spain, and I was done. The guy put him. In. He said, that was the most epic run. He said, you, you did it, and you did it. I, like, I think it was like five hours and something because I had a really good start uh, starting time, so I banked a few miles early. But I got to the end, and, and in this marathon, you only have eight hours to finish, or you're done. You're eliminated from the contest. You are, you are cast aside to the island of rejects, never to be forgiven, redeemed again. They, they do a, a trap door into the ground, never to be into society, and... Uh, and so I finished Madrid, and they put the medal around my neck, and said, congratulations, and, and I just, I was so, and then they had a little restaurant, so if you get down early, you have a little more time to bank, to hang out, and so there's a restaurant across the street, so I went with the people, and there was like a, a farewell. I was already looking at flights to fly back to Los Angeles. I already had a plan. I'm like, I don't care how much it costs. I'm just, I'm just going to fly one way, Madrid to L.A., I'm done with this run. And these guys are loading up everything. I'm getting ready to go, and God just spoke to me and said, just give me one more. Just give me one more, and I'll do a miracle. Just one more, and I'll do a miracle. And I thought, you know what, God? If you're going to do a miracle, I'm going to go. And so I I just decided to to tell the guys, I said, look, guys, you know what? I'm not going. I'm going to do one more. They're like, yeah, let's do it, you know, and uh, you can do it. You know, they're all really pumped up, you know. And so I got on the bus, and now we're flying to Marathon number five in Morocco. We get to Morocco which was the shortest turnaround, of course, when you're in the most pain. This is only a 10-hour turnaround from four to five. And we get there, we take an hour nap. Literally, the the people in Morocco actually gave us the ability to sleep in a hotel for an hour. So they opened up the rooms for us. They really greeted us very warmly. The country even paid for the rooms for us and allowed us to have like an hour to take a nap in this hotel. And we woke up and we went to the run. And I said, God, you're going to heal me. That, that, that's the miracle. I know what's going to happen. Because God's healed me so many times, I just know that he does it. It's, I don't even have, like, wonder if God can heal. I just know he can do it because he's done it so many times. But this time I got to the finish line and, uh, and I had a vision. I was gonna start running and the braces were gonna fall off like, like Forrest Gump, you know? I just like I saw it just like that. And so I said, God, I'm gonna sprint as if I'm healed. And he said, ready, set, go, I took off. And I just fell. Like I landed right on the ground. And I said, God, what is this miracle? It does not exist. And then he spoke to me and he said, the miracle is in you. The miracle is in the perseverance I'm about to give you. Persevere. Find a way to get to the finish line. Find a way to summon up that hidden person of the heart. And I got up. I was looking at the clock, and it was going to be tough to make it to the eight hours. And I looked, and I was running in Morocco. I. It was one of the Morocco and Dubai were the worst experiences of the entire run. As I was running there around this uh, place, these soldiers were there, and they were holding guns to protect us because there was, there was threats. From different groups, because some of the women that were running with us and, and all that in the race. And so they're they were, they were holding guns, on the, just watching us the whole time. This one guy was looking at me like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to stand here all day protecting this guy, limping around here, you know? And I said, God, how am I going to do this? And I look and I see these lampposts that are all around the place, these lampposts. And this is what God spoke to me. He said, I want you to run one lamppost and walk another. Run one and walk another. And there I am, right there. That's the guy to the right behind me in the very background. That's Michael Wardian. He ran every single marathon two hours and forty-five minutes. He's America's greatest ultra runner, probably in the world. He ran seven in a row in two forty-five. The guy runs like two hundred miles a week, and he's coming behind me. He looks like a disciple coming to bless me or something, you know. And I always tell Michael in that picture I'm beating him, but the truth is he's laughing at me for the eighth time. But. What well, the crowd doesn't know won't hurt him. But uh, there he was. And he came alongside me. And, and I would walk one of those lampposts. And I decided I would not think about how far I had to go. And that's what God taught me in marathon number five. That in the journey of life, don't even think about how far you've got to go. Don't even think about where you want to be somewhere down the road that you're not right now. You gotta get a vision for the lamppost and, uh, fighting a good fight, finishing the course and saying, God, right now, I, I, sometimes you gotta walk one, sometimes you, you can run one, but just keep moving forward and don't worry about how far you've got to go in life. You just take on every day the best you can. Some days will be a sprint, some days will be a limp. It doesn't matter. You just gotta get up every day and decide that I'm not going to worry about the distance of where I want to be. I'm going to live in the moment of progress in the now. As I walked in one and ran another, I got to the end of Morocco and I fell to the ground and nobody was left in that continent because those guys were smart. The guys were done before me, they went to eat. They left me hanging. I was all by myself with some random Moroccan dude jumping up and down, waving my hand in the air, you know, and I got to the end of Morocco and he put the fifth medal around my neck. And this guy gave me a hug. I didn't know who he was, but he just gave me a hug, and I received that too. And I wore medal number five. And then, now I knew that God just wanted me to finish, and we got on the plane, and now we're heading to Dubai. Now, I'm sure Dubai is a wonderful place. I'm sure it's great and everything, but to me, Dubai was like the personal hell of my entire life. We got to Dubai, and we were going to the bus, and I'm in so much pain. Every step was like the worst pain I've ever felt. There was no relief, and now I'm losing my mind, my sanity. Those are energy gels. All that dark stuff is energy gels. I didn't even care. I just let it just stay on my face, you know. And We're sunburned. It's hot. Um, the, my Achilles, the, the shoe is digging into my Achilles tendon, and that's the guy right there who gave me $100,000 for running it. And that's the guy who said, Pastor, I'm going to run the marathon with you. He just started about a quarter of a mile ago. That's me right there. That's me in the full on sprint trying to run this one. There's him to the left. That's the donor right there. He's like, Pastor, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Nah, he's gone. He's gone. He's no longer. About. But he gave 100 G. He's cool, you know. And, um, so we're uh, but this time, I'm, I'm feeling like I can't make it, not because of perseverance. I've already sold out to the commitment. But now I feel like I can't make it because I was going to get timed out, which means I wasn't going to make the time because I wasn't moving fast enough. So now I'd be eliminated because of, of not being quick enough. And so I, I, was, I was running down this, and I thought, well, God, I'm going to quit. I'm not, I'm not going to make the splits. There's no way to do it. And little did I know that there's a man following me on social media who lived in Dubai. He was a rugby player in South Africa. Now he lives in England, and he, he spends half his time working in Dubai and half in London. He was following me on social media, and he read, he picked up the Word of God in the morning. He read the Scripture that said, "In love, serve one another." He was so touched by that Scripture, he got up and said, "God, forgive me for not serving people." I know of that man who is struggling to finish those marathons. I'm going to come down and I'm going to find him. He closed his bible went down to the place where he knew we were running in dubai and i'm limping down there like i was trying to finish and he goes up to the front the front desk in the starter and he says where's matthew barnett they said well all you got to do is just follow that little path it won't take you long if you you can moonwalk and find him, and just be right there you know just, there you are oh there. That guy ran alongside me, picked me up, he picked up around, oh, I would say mile eight or nine or so, and he showed up alongside, there he is right there. Never met the guy in my life. And he said, how you doing? I said, oh, man, I'm, I'm doing my best. He, he said, I'm going to run this marathon with you. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I'm, my mom's a, a sports uh, medicine therapist, a massage therapy expert. He said, after every lap, I'm going to stretch you, and we're going to find a way to get you to the finish line. I said, man, thank you, but... I don't think it's possible because I'm just, I can't make the time. He said, well, we'll find a way. And, and then he knew I was discouraged and I was walking. And I said, man, I'm sorry. I, I can't finish. I'm not going to make it. And then he says, well, before you quit, let me ask you a question what is that he said tell me about your men's ministry in your church I'm really into men's ministry I'm like this is a pastor's worst nightmare you are in pain trying to finish a marathon and a guy's asking you a a question about men's ministry I want to say to the guy I can care less about all the men in the church they can all go to the booger man for all I care at this point I'm in pain you know and so we start talking for several miles about men's ministry and how to manage your facilities at your church and all this stuff. I can care. And then I looked up and I realized by being he was distracting me on purpose because he was trying to get my mind off how bad I hurt. And then he said, "Hey, mate, man, we're if we push this, you can make it to the end." And that—that's—that's that's the fastest temple I picked up to right there. And I got, and I just decided to go for it. I was close to the goal, and I finished marathon number six. Now I was running them in, in, in four hours up to this point, point. and I thought, man, that that through success it would inspire people. But I realized more people all over the world started sending messages by the thousands. They were more inspired by my brokenness than they were than if everything went easy. And I want to tell you more people, you think that your life is left, you're in rock bottom. God doesn't destroy people in rock bottom. He recreates people in rock bottom. And God was recreating the vision on the fly. Not from, oh, look at this guy. He found a way to be fit to run the whole thing. But through brokenness and struggle can inspire people just as much as success. Struggling through uh, dark moments of your ministry can oftentimes be a greater inspiration than, than being on the mountaintop the whole time. And I got to the end, seven hours and 18 minutes, this guy showed up. I still think he was an angel. He convinces me he's a real person. I'm like, no, you're an angel. He's like, no, I'm real. Like, no. The guy can cut himself and blood can come out. I'm still, you're an angel. Amen. He's, and then they got me on the little shuttle bus, and this is, this is tough. Because at this point, the pain is so excruciating, I can feel it in the back of my head. Somebody stole my shoes. I had to take my shoes off because they were, they were digging into my Achilles. I had to run barefoot. And somebody took my shoes, stole them, and so I had no shoes. I'm pain in the back of my head, and now the guy's like, "You don't have time to take a shower." Um, because, uh, you know, you ran 718, there's an eight-hour limit, everyone's going to the airport now, we got to get you there, no shower, you're to have to fly 18 hours to your final run, because we're going to stop on, on, on the way there to somewhere else in the airport, then refuel, and all that, so I'm thinking, oh my goodness, no shower, I'm going ready to go 18 hours, and, and just uh, all this stuff is going through my mind, I just started crying in the back, and the Michael Wardian comes up to me, he says, hey pastor, he goes, hey, I, I got some slippers I got, I go, where'd you get them? He goes, I got them at the spa, I said, the spa, He said, yeah, I ran my marathon so quick at 2.45. I had a chance to take a spa. And I want to thank you for running it in seven. You gave me more time to bank. But I want to bless you with these slippers. They're brand new. I got them at the spa. You can have them. I never wanted to hug and judge someone at the same time more than I wanted that brother. And I took those. And then we got on the plane, and we're flying to the final marathon. I'm done. Flying to Australia. As we're flying to our final run, I finally slept. I slept probably 10 hours the entire seven days. I finally get to sleep for about 90 minutes in that plane. And then when I did, I woke up with my heart racing at a tempo that was so beyond anything I've ever experienced. I sat up and I I thought to myself, what is going on? I was disoriented. Um, The medical team came to me. I said, I don't know what's going on. I just got woke up with this heart. And it's beating so heavy. I thought it was my blood clots, and I really thought I was going to die. So that increased even more anxiety. And I'm sitting there, and they had to sit me down. Some of the guys were talking to me, and I'm looking at the screen that said, we will be over water in like six hours. And I said, there's no place to land. And so I decided to turn on one of the movies. It was like a 1990s plane, and there was like an Italian movie with subtitles. And I'm just watching that to keep my mind off of how bad I'm breathing. I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to die watching a movie that's horrible in subtitles, you know? And... (laughs) And I'm watching this and I'm just losing it. I thought I was gone. And I, somehow, when I landed, I couldn't believe it was the longest flight of my life. I landed, they took me off the airplane immediately. I didn't have to go through customs, so the other people were back for two hours. And they took me to the hospital, and I ended up in, in Sydney. I'm sorry, Manly Beach in Australia. They, they took me there immediately, and when I showed up at Manly Beach, nobody was in the hospital, not one person in the hospital, not one patient nobody they took me right in and this man met me at the front he said come on in sir i want to treat you and i said great i mean it was just it was like i walked through without even breaking stride and he, they didn't even take information it just literally just welcomed me in and the guy was saying what are you doing and have you ever done something so stupid you don't want to tell the doctors what you did <laughs> i'm like well i'm doing this thing called the world marathon oh i know about the world marathon challenge i said you do in <laughs> shame he said yes he goes this is awesome he said uh he goes we got to get you back on the track I said, really? He goes, no. He goes, well, you have no choice. You've got to finish that race. My journey started with a doctor telling me I will never finish the race. I've come to the very end, and I had this Australian doctor about ready to punch me in the face if I don't make it to the end. <laughs> and he puts me up to all these medical devices. He's like, okay, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good. I, I want to think that I, I probably wasn't, but he wasn't going to take it anyway. He's like, you're in my, uh, Water bag, I'll put some water in you, and you're good. And and I, and I said, what's wrong? He said, let me tell you. He goes, I see it all the time. On incredible challenges like this, sometimes your body will go through such pain and dehydration that your body will have a panic attack. He said you had a high-level panic attack on that, on that plane because of the stress and the anxiety of the trip. He said, "You're going to make it to the end." And he starts ripping stuff off me. It was the craziest experience of my life. It was like it was like my dad and, and Pop Warner. Man, you got a concussion, you're good. And I'm not saying that's right. But you know, back then they were a little. Man, no, don't play with the concussion. Never do it. But you know, I'm just saying, I'm having flashbacks of my dad back in the days before protocol. You know, and all that. And uh, he said, "Get back on. He get back on the track." And so I go back and. Uh, I'm changing, and I had, but this time I had 10 hours to finish because we banked all those times to get to Australia. We we got done in time to where we had a few extra hours. So now I'm taking the track at 2:30 in the morning. I have till noon to finish. So I'm starting to run this thing, man. Just I mean, it's crazy. And then I realized, I realize first of all, I, and, and point number six I learned in that marathon when I was running in Dubai is I learned that God will send you angels of mercy along the way. Angels of mercy along the way. There will come a time where God says, Enough is enough. You tried as hard as you can. I'm going to send you provision for the vision to get you where you need to go. Enough is enough. Done what you can do. Now let me do what I can do. And then, number seven, I realized that God can resurrect you from the lowest of the lows to the highest of the highs. I went from thinking I was going to die on that plane. Telling people to tell my loved ones that I love them, giving them a list of people to thank back home on the journey of life. Seriously thinking I was going to die. Never experienced anything like that to about, well, let's see, 10 to 12 hours later, going to the end in Sydney, Australia, six hours and 31 minutes, that extra little... Uh, pep in my step because I was close to the finish line. And I got to the end and they put the American flag around me and they put, uh, the seventh medal from Australia and I finished the World Marathon Challenge right there on Manly Beach. I'm telling you, you can be a place, you can literally feel like you're at the lowest of the low. But in one moment, even tonight, God can take you from the lowest of the lows to the highest of the highs. Just when you think it's over, God can do something so radical in your life to let you know that it's really just begun. And I went back home, and have you ever had a dream in your heart as a kid that wasn't even an important dream, but something you always wanted to do that didn't need to happen in your life, but it would be kind of cool if it did? And I've never been a good athlete, so I never knew what it was like to be on. But I always want to be on ESPN Plays of the Day. You know, every night they have top 10 Plays of the Day, and they show these dunks and different things like that, and great hockey goals and, and, and home runs and and all that. I said, just once, God, I'd like to be on that. I get a call from ESPN saying, I heard that you struggled and you limped through seven marathons. We would like to feature you and Michael Wardian on Sports Center Plays of the Day. Now, this clip is only 10 seconds. But it just shows you that sometimes God will not only do the big things in life. Sometimes if you just persevere, he'll give you the little things that you don't even need. But he'll just do it to say, just to honor and bless the commitment of your heart. Take a look.
1: All right, so we get this marathon challenge: seven marathons, seven days, seven continents. So Ma- this is Matthew Barnett, who is Ryan Garcia's buddy. Tore his knee in four of the uh, the marathons, didn't quit, finished all seven. Good on you. This cat right here, uh, Michael uh, Wardian, under three hours for the seven races, seven marathons in seven days, under three hours. Yeah, there who
0: cares about him? I mean, he's not that important, you know. You know. And then the finish line, the guy said, not only that, when you get to the finish line, you don't only get seven medals, you get eight. You get the world member, the Flava Flave World Marathon Challenge one, you know. And they said, you are now a member of the Intercontinental Marathon Club. I'm like, cool, never heard of it, but it's one more. And then he's like, the Seven Continents Club, you are now an official member of only 33 people in the world who have ever done this. And now, we're in 10 minutes. I'm telling you, if you persevere, God will give you not only what you think you want. He'll give you more than you ever dreamed. But you just can't ever think that it's over. You might be in the lowest of the lows. And just like that, in a moment of inspiration, in a moment of truth, God can take you to the highest of the highs. Tonight in this room, I want to encourage you to never give up, to keep persevering through life, to keep going since this is the last time this year I'm going to preach this sermon, I just want to do something here today. This church has meant more to me. These medals mean more to me than anything in my life. It really does. And I'm not a trophy person, but these mean more to me than anything. But this church means more to me than any church I think I've ever preached to in my life. And I figure if I'm going to preach this for the last time. Pastor, I want, I, want to, I want to give away some of these medals tonight once and for all. I want to give you this international world changers medal to the pastor that's taken the gospel to every continent. I want to give you, pastor, the other one, the Seven Marathons Continental Club. I want to give you this medal for all the hospitality. And I want to give you Oh, I'm going to give you a marathon. Um, I'm, going to give you the, I'm going to give you the North American one. Because you're going to take the gospel to this country in the only unique way that God has given you. Pastor, I want to thank you. And I want to give this to you. I want to give you my Europe medal to say I love you and God bless you. Thank you. Sir, right here. I want to bless you with my medal that I got in Africa. Right here. Amen. Thank you so much. I want to come over here. I want to give this guy right here. I want to give you one of my medals. I've been watching you all night. I just felt led of the Holy Spirit. I've been seeing you in the crowd. I want to give you Antarctica because you're one cold brother for Jesus. Amen. Sir, I want to give you this. I want to give you my medal for South America and say never to give up. When good things are coming your way, keep expecting good things. Keep believing. Don't ever think that God's done with you. He's, got, he's a God of more than enough. And I want to give you my Australian medal right here. The one that meant the most to me. I had to overcome the most to keep overcoming for Jesus. Amen. Thank you. I've had the honor of retiring this sermon in the greatest church of America, Celebration Church, right here. Amen. You'll say, Pastor, you got one more medal left. That's right. This guy right here. in this room here today and you feel tired and weary that it's hard to fight the good fight of faith and tonight you just say God I need courage to keep moving maybe the lamppost related to you maybe some struggle about creating the home court advantage in your family related to you maybe you're not moving fast enough and you've been stressed out over it now you just want to run what's before you maybe you're along the way and you say God I'm just tired I need some angels of mercy to show up just show up, God, into my stress and my anxiety, and my struggle. All over this room here tonight, there, if you're here in this building and say, I am ready. I am ready tonight to run with courage the race that's before me. Not a marathon challenge, but a race. I'm going to run to but I need courage tonight to run the race of my marriage and my life and my business, my job, my dream, my vision, whatever it may be as we close this service, maybe tonight your vision is to know Christ, your Lord, and Savior. If you're here today, you want to partake in the greatest vision of all. That's to know Jesus. I want you, everyone together, if you don't know Christ, your Lord and Savior, repeat these words after me. Thank you, Jesus, for running the race, coming from heaven to earth, to die on the cross for me. You gave your life for me. Now I run the race with you and for you. I carry the cross and I follow Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. Now I live for you. In Jesus' name. This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc